open up your Bible, 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. We begin the penultimate lesson for our series called Anoint Thine Eyes. This has been a series based out of 2 Peter chapter 1, looking again at vision. What does God want from me? Where is He leading me? Where does He want me to go? What are my next steps? The title of this week's lesson, and for next week consequently, is Ready for Either. I can't remember if I had shown that. I don't think I actually shown this or not when we were going over church history, but uh, a few weeks back when we were looking at the Philadelphian church period, again, we touched on this last Sunday. We were looking at Philadelphia being brotherly love, a part of our character quality and brotherly kindness. This church period where Bible believers had the Bible in their hands for the first time in centuries, a completed Bible, and man, did they show brotherly kindness to the entire world. Uh, when we were going through the actual study of church history on Wednesday nights in Revelation, we touched on this seal. This is a seal, or a, a crest of arms it's called, where it's, it's basically like your banner, what your, your group or your church is known as. This seal, this coat of arms, is for the Moravian missionaries. Anybody know who the Moravians were? Anybody remember from that class? Moravians were the guys who they had such a burden for lost mankind. They had such a charitable love, a love that was so willing to give and to give and to give and not receive anything back, not expect anything in return. These guys had such a charity for their fellow lost mankind that they would sell themselves into slavery just so that they could witness and preach the gospel to slaves on trade ships. They would actually have to raise their funds themselves. Some of you guys in here, you're raising money right now either for camp or for uh, Mexico. Imagine raising funds for yourself because a slave owner or a slave trader wouldn't put up his own money to purchase you. But you had such a burden to reach these people in, lost, in the lost world that you actually had to raise support yourself to then sell yourself into slavery. Horrible, isn't it? Horrible to think about. And of course, they weren't given any special privilege just because they were white Europeans. No. They were treated as you would treat a slave during the 1700s and 1800s. And this was their coat of arms. It's the seal of a ox. Somebody remind me if you were here on Wednesday nights, what is an ox called when it's a baby? Calf. 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 And an ox, it's a picture and a type in the Bible of a Christian worker of a laborer, of a servant, which is what we talked about on Wednesday nights. The book of Mark is all about Christ, presenting Christ as a servant. It has an ox, and before the ox is a plow and an altar. And here's their seal, the title of today's message, Ready for Either. See, these Moravians, they were willing to give their life to Jesus Christ, whether in service or in sacrifice. Whether it be in life or in death, they were ready for either. They were ready at a moment's notice because they came to a point in their lives where they realized that I have been saved not just so I can go to heaven. Dare I say I've been saved not just so I can have a relationship with Christ. I have been saved to let Jesus Christ live the fulfillment of His life through me. That is what they realized. That is what they came to the understanding of, that this life that I have is not my own. They realized at the moment of salvation, at the moment they realized I am a sinner in need of a Savior, that was them laying their life down on the altar saying, Lord, I don't want to live my life for me anymore. It's all for you. Take my life and do what you will. That's the end goal. And is there anything more charitable than laying down your life and not expecting anything back in return? Nothing. 
It's the ultimate sacrifice. We too, as solid youth ministry, need to be ready for either. So as a quick review, uh, going over everything we've covered over the last 15 weeks, we saw in 2 Peter chapter 1, I should probably get my Bible out if I want to go ahead and join you guys, but somebody go ahead and start in verse 3. Can I get a reader for that? 3 to 5, Sam. According as His divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of Him that hath called us to glory and virtue whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these he might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, in all diligence, add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. So on your outline for your intro as a recap, servants, because this is a letter written to servants, people who are already involved in the work, I said in the beginning, it's a great time for a reminder now. Mark it down. If you're not involved, if you are not plugged in, the, rem the previous 15 weeks and everything we're about to read in this passage, it doesn't apply to you. It only applies to people who are in the fight, to people who have some skin in the game. To people who are serving in some capacity, not just pew sitters, not just bench warmers. You're in it. He says, add to your faith virtue. Virtue is the strength to do what is. Anybody else know? All together now? Right. Out of a love for God. We're going to be doing this for all the other ones, so get your brain working now first thing we're supposed to add is the strength to do what is right out of a love for God. If you just want to do what's right, God will take that and He'll grow it. He'll add it to your faith. He'll work with you. Next, we are to add to virtue knowledge. Knowledge, as we saw, was growing that love to know Christ in a deeper, more... You can use intimate. I use the word personal level. Personal level. You're not just reading your Bible... For the sake of reading your Bible, you're not just reading it to get a chapter a day in. No, you want to know Christ deeper, who He is, what He's about, what His desires are. And you add to your faith, look at verse 6, to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness. So temperance, it's controlling and possessing your Actually, you're going somewhere with that, Dustin. Starts with the mind, but overall, it's controlling and possessing your body against internal attacks on your walk. We talked about that. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, getting you to lose control, to lose your spiritual mind so that you just go back to the vomit of what it was before you were saved. And then to temperance, you add patience. And we talked about this. If temperance is controlling and possessing your body against internal attacks, patience is controlling and possessing your soul in reaction to external attacks on your walk. We saw that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, where it says, In patience possess ye your souls. In Luke 21, I think, actually. And then to patience you add godliness. Once you go through those, those trials that God puts you through of patience, you are now being conformed, to fill in your blank, further into the image and likeness of His dear Son post-trials. And now that you're more like Him, you need to now live and do the things that He did. Exemplified in two key areas. Brotherly kindness, which is seeing each other through His eyes to minister accordingly. And once we have that down, when we are unified, when we are of one mind, of one accord, of one body, as Philippians 2 talks about, of one consolation, when we all think, feel, believe, and do the same things together as a youth ministry, we then turn our focus outward 
to today's message, and consequently next week's, charity, which is seeing lost mankind through his eyes to love them enough to tell the truth. And that's verse 7, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. And I want to remind you of these next three verses here. Here's, if you add up all of these things, like in a math equation, here's what it equals. Here's what you get as a result of adding these things to your faith. Verse 8, for if these things be in you and abound. You know, Wyatt's going through jiu-jitsu right now, and he's, uh, they have what's called parent stripes. It's a little stripe that they put on their, on their belt if they add to their, their uh, repertoire, so to speak, or their character, you know, like discipline, respect, uh, 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 integrity, you know. Goodness. You see, I'm not paying attention. Whatever, Andy. How many parent stripes do you have, Andy? Okay, he's not a kid anymore. And so he has those. And the thing is, it's all up to us parents as we see him adding these things to his character as he gets them and as we tell his instructor, hey, he's been doing a good job with them. It's not just about, hey, I did it, I got it, now I'm good. There's something called maintaining. He has to continue modifying or, or exemplifying those behaviors. It's called maintaining, or as the Bible just puts it, these things be in you and abound. Don't think just because you went through and, man, you could check my attendance sheet, Corey. I've been here the last 15 weeks, so I'm good. I've added these things to my faith. It's not how it works. It doesn't work that way with discipleship. It doesn't work that way in any other area in life. They have to abound. They have to stay there. But if these things are like that, verse 8, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is it that brings God glory according to John 15, 8? Herein is my Father glorified that ye bear much fruit. That's the whole end goal of your service, of your Christian life. To bear much fruit for Him. This is how you do it. That's what the last 15 weeks have been all been about. How to bear fruit. You'll never be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, but, just like the VBS song, read your Bible, pray every day, but he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off. You'll have no idea what the next step of your life should be. You'll have an idea as to what you think it should be. Might even convince yourself this is God's next step for me. But you'll really be blind and you won't be able to see afar off. You won't be able to see where God's leading you next. And have forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. More on that to conclude next week. Wherefore the rather, brethren, verse 10, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. Hey, you tired of struggling with the same sin over and over again? I remember in high school, like, oh, goodness gracious, Lord, especially with lust, where I would fall again and again and again. I'm like, Lord, I'm sick of it. I can't believe I came back. I have to come back here to you again. Oh, God, I can't believe I did it again. What's wrong with me? Do I even really truly love you? Side note on that. You know what's beautiful about the grace and the mercy of God? Whenever you come to Him and you have that kind of a prayer where you said, I did it again. I messed up. I screwed up again. You know what His grace does? He looks down at you and says, hey, what are you talking about? I've cast your sins as far as east is from the west. From my perspective, this is your first time coming to me. He doesn't keep record of it anymore. The Bible says in the book of Psalms that if he were to mark our transgressions, who should stand? None of us would be able to stand. But thanks to his grace, we are cleansed. There is forgiveness with thee that thou mayest be feared. His forgiveness should cause us to reverence and worship him all the more because of how gracious and merciful he really is. That he doesn't keep track and record of our screw-ups, of our sins. He doesn't keep track of it. But if you're like, the, like me, where you constantly just continue to be like, Lord, I keep falling, I keep falling. Well, you add these things to your faith, and as we just read, the Bible says, you'll never fall. Question is, do you believe that? Do you truly believe that? And are you truly fed up with falling again and again and again? If so, then you'll give all diligence to add these things to your faith. So, that in mind...
Let's go ahead and open up in a word of prayer. Father, I do pray you'd give us uh, grace and that you would speak, especially to me, God. I need to be reminded, especially this last part, Charity, as we covered in the last couple of weeks, if we fail in brotherly kindness, we will have done all of this work and we will have failed in our mission. We will have fallen short in our mission. If it doesn't reach out of this room, out of these four walls into the rest of this world, to see lost mankind through your eyes and to have an effect on this world, it'll have been for nothing. I don't want to do that. I don't want anyone in this room to have that when we stand before you at the judgment seat of Christ one day. So open up the eyes of our souls today and speak to us in Jesus' name. Amen. Point one on your outline. To brotherly kindness, add charity. Strong's definition. Again, we've kind of already touched on this. I mean, you guys could even define it using putting in your own words. It's giving, loving someone enough to give and not expect anything in return. The way the Bible defines it, it I kind of like this. It's, it's love, it's affection or benevolence, but it also says it is a feast of love. Not just a snack, not a meal, a feast, a Thanksgiving smorgasbord of just a plethora of food that you can just dig into. In other words, it's an abundance of love. You don't just give because, well, all of my friends are signing up for VBS, so I should probably give and serve in that capacity too. You don't just give because, oh, well, I have to go pass out tracts today because I want to do my Christian due diligence. No, no, no. It is an abundance. It is an overflow of, can we do this tomorrow and then the next day and the day after that as well? Can we do five VBSs this year? That is the kind of charity we're talking about when we say it's, it's a feast of love. Webster's defines it as liberality to the poor and gratuitous service to relieve them in distress. Relieve them from the burden of their sin. It's liberality in gifts and services. The word liberal doesn't show up that many times in the Bible, but whenever it does, it's always pertaining to this, not anything else. Liberally, having the freedom just to give and give and give. I have a blank there for you, and I understand as soon as I say it, I'm probably going to have to spell it. But you know what one word kind of encapsulates this too, and I'm going to put it on the screen here in a little bit? Candor. Candor. C-A-N-D-O-R. You know what candor means? Anybody want to take a shot at it? Ever heard anybody say, oh, speak, speak with candor? It's kind of where you get speak candidly. Openly. Openly. Having frankness. Not holding anything back. Sincerely. Being blunt in certain cases. I love it. Did you know that Webster's actually uses that word candor to describe charity? Here's one of the definitions, or here's how he goes and describes it a little bit more. I love this. Think about what we talked about already. So charity, it's candor. And here's what he says further on it. It is liberality in judging of men and their actions. Right there, you just saw it is an act of love to call somebody out for the way that they're living. If done properly. If, according to Matthew chapter 7, as you read that, the verse that every Christian in other churches, especially in Laodicea, loves to quote, Hey, judge not, lest ye be judged. They love to actually quote that verse, but if you actually look at the context of that passage, Christ is telling you, no, judge, just here's how. Don't go up to somebody self-righteously and say, Hey, you're not living right unless you first examine, evaluate your life to make sure that there's nothing in your life that they can point the finger back at you on. But if we go to them in love and hospitality saying, hey, I care about you. I care about your walk, the way you're living, what you posted the other day. It's not really exemplifying the love of Christ. It's not really exemplifying a good testimony. Hey, at school, I heard you kind of let a few cuss words fly. It didn't really seem like you were really repenting at all about it. Hey, I'm not trying to show that I'm self-righteous. I know if you followed me around the clipboard, man, you'd find things wrong with me. I get it. But man, think about your friends that you were around that saw that post or heard you say that. You think they're going to want to come to camp with you? You think they're going to want to have to hear anything you have to say about the gospel? Man, we got to think about this. 
calling them out. Having freedom or the liberality to do it. Judging of men and their actions. It's a disposition which inclines men to think and judge favorably and to put the best construction on words and actions which the case will admit. You know what the best example of charity is? It's your words and your works being used to better others. You seem to think of a VBS lesson that's actually titled Words and Works, looking at Christ's words and works and what He did to show the great charitable love He had towards all, specifically, as this definition ends, the highest exercise of charity is charity towards the uncharitable. It's the lost. Yes, it works to us. It applies to us in a way, but we talked about that more with brotherly kindness. And as we saw, brotherly kindness is having an unconditional love for your fellow brothers. Is there anyone more uncharitable than those who continually reject the love of Christ? But yet, what do we do? What are we supposed to do? Continue to call out sin. Continue to let them know that there is a price to be paid for a lifestyle of sin. Continue to let them know that it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. Continue to let them know that, but God commendeth his love toward them, that while they were yet sinners, Christ died for them. Continue to remind them that, man, all you have to do is confess with thine mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead and thou shalt be saved. That's what we're talking about. Candor. Being blunt. Not being shy. You realize, I've shared this before with you guys, but that whole kind of perception of, of Joshua and, and Caleb when they went into the promised land, when Caleb, when they saw the giants, the other 10 guys, the other 10 Israelites who went into uh, to spy out the land of Jericho who were with them, they were like, no, we can't go in. Their giants are too much for us. And Caleb goes, those guys are bread for us. They're our bread. We're going to eat them alive. That's our land that God gave us. You have that kind of a perspective, that kind of a, dare I say, militant mindset about your school, your work, lost family members and friends that you're surrounded with. You have that kind of a mindset. You'll be candor with them. You'll have candor with them. You'll have that kind of bluntness. You won't have any kind of a hesitation whatsoever. Why? Because what's motivating you is not the desire to be right. It is the desire to see them saved so that they can bring glory to their God and so that they can join you in the fight. So that they can go tell their friends with candor how much God loves them and what He did for them. And you can check out Philippians 1, chapter or chapters. Or, Chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 later. But go ahead and turn over to, to 1 John chapter 4. Just a couple pages to your right. Philippians 1 is talking about when Paul, he was like, some preach Christ out of love, out of contention. They do it because they're angry with somebody else or they, they have a little slant or a, a hidden motive there. But others preach Christ out of love. To see people saved. They have a candor or a boldness of the gospel. 1 John chapter 4, look at verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. Do you know and believe the love that God has to you? Then here's what should happen next. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in who? God. And God in him. In other words, if you know and love, is that what it said? No. If you know and believe the love of God, you know what you will naturally want to do? Dwell with God. Spend time with God. Be in His presence. Again, I'll admit, there are days where I'll open up my Bible and I will read my Bible, but I won't be in the presence of God whether it be because of something that's on my mind that's distracting me and I'm not putting it at the foot of the cross, or whether it's, you know, again, maybe I didn't get enough sleep last night, and so I'm just waking up, and I'm like, well, man, it's better for me to at least read it and not read it at all. So there are days where you might have the same thing, or whether it's another motive or something that's in your heart that's just, maybe it's a sin issue, and you're not dealing with it. You can read your Bible, but not be in the presence of God, not hear from God. 
dwelling with him. We need to be dwelling with him. And look what happens next when you dwell and are in his presence and spend time with him. Verse 17, herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment. Because as he is, so are we in this world. When you dwell with God, you will be more like God. You will look more like God. It's just like when I mentioned those four beasts on Wednesday night, the four beasts that are a picture and a representation of the four Gospels. And I mentioned that those four beasts, they're found in Revelation chapters 4 and chapters 5. They're the four beasts that are surrounding the, the throne of God in heaven. And they're saying, worthy is the Lamb to open the seals, to open the book. You know what's interesting is that those four animals... Because they represent the Gospels, they represent Christ. And it kind of fits the same picture here. It kind of or fits the same principle. The more that you are around God, the more that you dwell in God's presence, the more you'll be a representative for Him. The more you will be a picture of Him and for Him. Love it. You'll have boldness or candor to speak the gospel to the lost because as he is, so are we. There is, verse 18, no fear in love, but perfect love or charity casteth out fear because fear hath torment. Have you ever gone up to share the gospel with somebody? Whether it be at a hem event where you're passing out a track or you're about ready to witness to a friend at school? That fear will torment you. We have to get beyond. We have to push beyond the fear. We have to push beyond what we think are our limitations. And we need to catch a vision of who Christ really is and how much He loves them. And you'll have no fear. That perfect love of Christ will translate to a perfect love for people. And it'll cast out any fears you have about preaching the gospel to lost mankind. It will. Otherwise, man, that fear is just going to torment you. And look how he ends in verse 18. Man, what an indictment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. In other words, he's saying you're not growing. You're not maturing. You're not adding to your faith. You might demonstrate great love here and brotherly kindness. You might have the other six character qualities down. But if it doesn't go beyond to having charity towards the uncharitable, we'll fail. We won't. You might get some clarity of vision, but you'll still fall short. What do we need to have happen? Boldness in the day of judgment. Boldness to give the gospel. It requires two things. Point number two, compassion and fear. Again, a few pages to your right to the book of Jude. Second to last book of the Bible. Compassion and fear. It is time to make a difference. Look at verse 20. But ye, beloved, again reminding us of how much Christ loves us, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, translation, add to your faith, grow, mature, praying in the Holy Ghost, what do we do with this? Keep yourselves in the what? Is everybody in verse 21? Keep yourselves in the all together now. Love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. When we keep or abound or maintain in the love of God, here's what happens in verse 22. Of some have compassion, making a difference. And others... Save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. Compassion and fear. 
This is just a, it's a theme that's run all throughout the course of the Bible. If you want to do yourselves a little favor and if you want to be, uh, you know, uh, get some practice again, it's been a while since we've gone over knowledge. And when we did that whole classroom setting where we turned this entire classroom into a workshop with those tables, looking at Blue Letter Bible, doing some word studies, some phrase studies. If you want to do an interesting phrase study, put in quote marks, mercy and truth. See how often the words mercy and truth come up. You know what you'll find? I remember this. It was the very first time I ever got to teach the senior high. And it was when I was a junior in senior high. And Pastor Jay, uh, he wanted me and another buddy of mine. We both had a desire for ministry in our lives and for youth especially. And he gave us opportunities to teach while we were still in the senior high. And uh, I remember I ran into Pastor Tom at the hallway. This is back at the, when we were at the high school. I'm like, hey, I'm getting ready to... I said preach. It was a Sunday school class, but... You know me. I was like, I'm getting ready to preach. And he was like, you are? He goes, remember. It's the first lesson I ever got on preaching and teaching. He goes, truth and mercy go hand in hand. He goes, truth and mercy. And isn't that what happens every time we give the gospel? We give them the truth about where they stand before a holy and a righteous God and how their sin has offended and their sins have separated them from that holy and righteous God and that there needs to be a consequence and punishment for that sin. But God. That's the truth of the matter. Then comes the mercy. The two go hand in hand. It needs to be that way. Compassion and fear. Fear of God is the beginning of what in the book of Proverbs? Wisdom. They should be afraid of where they stand before a holy God. And as a result, we have compassion on them. We pity them. We have mercy on them. That's how it ought to be. How does this exemplify itself? Letter A. The love of Christ constrains us as ambassadors to reconcile the world unto Him. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We've looked at this before. I'm going to get a couple readers here. I need eight readers. Actually, whatever. We're just going to go with Carson, and we'll snake over to Dustin, and we'll just work our way around until we get to the end of the chapter. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. As per usual, I might interrupt you at the end or before you begin to give some commentary on it. Is this the whole chapter? Or? No, you're going to read verse 14. Okay. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then, we were, then we're all dead. Okay, I actually do have a, a, a note on that. Okay. Constraineth. You know what that word constraineth means or to constrain? It means to compress. It means to compel. It literally means to arrest. In other words, the love of God should arrest you. It should captivate you. It should hold you prisoner from going out of bounds or going out to, the, to receive any kind of form of love in the world. You should be so arrested and caught and compelled and compressed because of what Christ has done. It should give you a holy motivation. Write down these two passages if you're taking notes here next to that. Luke 12.50, Jesus himself says, Hey guys, you know what? I have a baptism yet to be baptized with. In other words, he's talking about the cross. I am going to be immersed or submerged into hell and death and the sin of all the world. I have a baptized to yet to be baptized with. And he goes, And how am I straightened till it be accomplished? That word straightened there, it's the exact same word that's used for constraineth. Jesus is saying, I'm arrested. I am compelled to do where I to go on this path that I need to go as a beeline straight to the cross. I am straightened. In other words, I'm not walking here and then all of a sudden I'm just going to veer off here, do my own thing for a little bit. Kind of like we sometimes do. Where God's leading us and I'm walking with God, I'm walking with God. Hey, I feel like sinning today, so I'm going to go out my own way here. And then I'll get straightened again. No. Compelled, straightened, arrested. That's what Christ experienced. That's how He worded it. And then similarly, in Acts 18.5, it's the other passage you want to write down, it says that Paul was pressed in the Spirit. The exact same phrase that's used for constrain. To be pressed in the Spirit. And you know what Paul did when he was pressed in the Spirit as he was constrained? 
it says that he testified that Jesus was the Christ. If you're, the love of God is constraining you. He's going to compress you. He's going to straighten you to speak. Verse 15. Go ahead, Dustin. And that, and that he died for all, and they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, hmm. but unto him which died for them and rose again. That's again the definition of charity. To give and not expect anything in return. How much more charitable is it to come to the point where you realize my life is not my own? To come to the point that they which live, are you alive in Christ today? Maybe you're all dead right now. Okay, are you alive in Christ today? Then they which live should henceforth not live to themselves any longer. You have to filter every decision you make. Who I'm going to date, where I'm going to go to college, what I'm going to do for a career. Not with what I want, what I'm good at. Lord, what do you want? What do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? Who should I be? Filter everything through him because your life is not your own. Verse 16, Jack. Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, old things are passed away, and all things are And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of you're all in the ministry. If you're in here and you're saved, you have a relationship with Christ, you're in the ministry, whether you realize it or not. Verse 19. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray to you in Christ that be he says, we beseech you. He's using his words and his works to do something because of this love that constrains him. He's begging people to be reconciled with Christ. He's giving the gospel. Verse 21. For he hath made him to be sent for us. We knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God. That's the message we tell everybody. That's the message we beseech people on. Or as Acts 4, 19 and 20 says, But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. This is where they were being arrested and told, Don't preach in the name of Christ anymore. Don't share your faith with others. And then they said in verse 20, For we cannot but speak the things which we have heard, or which we have seen and heard. You know what they're saying there? We're constrained. We can't help it. We're arrested by the love of God. We are compelled and compressed by the love of God. We can't help ourselves but to preach and teach these things. Can you say the same thing? I'll be honest. Especially with how crazy the world is now, there are plenty of times and plenty of people where I'm like, yeah, you can have what's coming to you. I struggle with that. That's why there are times where I wonder, have I really added this seventh one to my faith yet? Or maybe I had at one point, but maybe, like the Bible talks about in 1 Thessalonians, you can sear that. You can sear your conscience on that. You can, you ever take a steak and just put it on high heat on one side and then flip it over and put it on high heat on the other side? It becomes hardened and crusty. It becomes hard. Where it was this very soft and moldable piece of a muscle has now become hardened. You can do that to your heart through various different ways. Through laziness, through sin. And that love of many can wax cold or become seared. Your conscience can become seared. But you know what I love about that? Even though on the outside it's hard, it can still be raw and tender on the inside. In other words, if you're in here and you're like that, it's not impossible for you that, that searing to go away. It's not impossible for you to find a love for people again. You just have to let God maybe do some surgery on you and it might be painful to cut away some of that searing. Number one, 
How do we do that? We pray for doors of utterance, praying for opportunities to speak, to utter the gospel. Ephesians 6:19, and for me that utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth. How? Boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. We gotta be bold, have to have candor. Colossians 4:3, with all praying also for us, that God would open unto us a door of utterance. Words and works. You have to speak. Your life spe- speaks. To speak the mystery of Christ for which I am also in bonds. Are you praying for that though? Are you beseeching others for it as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5? But in point two, not only praying for those doors of utterance, words, we need to actually have the works to back it up. To speak truth to every creature. That's what Mark 16, 15 says. Preach the gospel to every creature. I love Zechariah 8, 16. Check this out. These are the things that ye shall do. Speak ye every man the truth to his neighbor. Words. But then execute the judgment of truth and peace in your gates. Don't just speak the gospel. But man, follow through with it. Do something. Don't just give them a track and say, hey, have a good life. Hopefully you do what's on the back of that thing. No, follow through. Follow up. This was something that was like a reoccurring theme we saw when we were doing the outreach study. For those of you guys who were there, like in Perry and in Jackson, was this idea that every time Christ would do something, whether it was a healing, he would always, or even just the, the, the miracle of the water and the wine, he would go back through and follow up with the people that he demonstrated his deity to. If there's anything we got to do better on, we got to do follow up more. Had a friend come to church, follow up with them. They heard the truth. Now we got to execute uh, judgment of truth and peace in our gates. Follow up with them. If somebody else did bring a friend and you introduced yourself to them, did you get their number to follow up with them? That way now instead of one person following up, there is two. Speak the truth Every creature, peace and truth, mercy and truth, compassion and fear. They're all the same theme. Letter B, that we may show forth to the world the definition of charitable love as it's been shown to us. Everyone turn over to Romans chapter 5. And I need one reader for all six of those verses. Ethan. Love of Christ constrains us as ambassadors to reconcile the world unto Him, that we may show forth to the world the definition of charitable love as it's been shown to us. Maybe the reason why, and maybe this is the case for me too, I even asked God, and then I prayed on the way here to this morning, I was like, God, preach just to me today. If nobody else gets anything, Lord, let this message be for me, because I know I need it. But maybe the reason why you might be struggling with the love of somebody else, whether they wronged you or just the love of the lost world in general, is because maybe you need to be reconnected with what God has done for you in your life. 1 John 4.10, I have it on the screen. Herein is love, charity. Not that we loved God. We didn't give to God first and expect nothing in return. No, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, the satisfactory payment for our sins. And yes, God is charity. God did demonstrate charity. You know how? He died willingly for every single human being that has ever stepped foot on this planet, knowing that not everyone would get saved. Yet he did it anyway. That's charity. That's giving and not expecting anything in return. Romans 5. Ethan, go ahead and read verses 5 to 10. And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. For when we were yet without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Hmm. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commended his love towards us, in that, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 
much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Hmm. For if, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Understand, you are the enemy. If you're in here and you're saved, at one point in your life, you were his enemy. Or if you're in here and you're not saved right now, you are his enemy. And yet he still gave his life for you. Did you hear that phrase that popped up at least twice? And it shows up all throughout chapters 4 and 5 of Romans where it says, Much more, much more the love of God overcompensates and, and just completely destroys and demolishes the fact that you were his enemy. So much more, much more sins you've been forgiven of. That's how rich his love has been for you. And to break it down as a reminder for you, number one, it's not because we were great in number or stature. Remember what God said to Samuel when he was looking for his new king and he chose David? Samuel wanted all of the brothers who were big, strong, and just could slay people left and right, at least according to the outward appearance. But God says, I've rejected them. See, man looketh on the outward appearance, but God searcheth the hearts. Same thing here in Deuteronomy 7, 7. Talking about Israel, the Lord did not set His love upon you, nor choose you because ye were more in number than any people. No, because ye were the fewest of all people. I love that. You know, I'm reminded of a verse that we're all familiar with, 1 Timothy. Let no man despise thy youth. Let nobody despise how young you are, either physically or spiritually, that you can't be used of God. Let no one despise your knowledge. And don't you despise yourself. Don't think to yourself, man, I don't know enough that I can't possibly be like this person or I can't possibly be like this pastor or, or this super Christian star or whatever. Banish the thought. Who cares? Don't think about that. Let no man despise your knowledge or lack thereof. Just use what God has given you. Use what you know. Let no man despise uh, any impediments that you think you might have, that you're not strong in speech. Maybe you see yourself as despicable, or maybe you actually are despicable. Just remember the definition of charity. It's charitable towards the uncharitable. If you're uncharitable, God has bestowed upon you much more charity, much more love. Don't think that you need to be great in stature, great in number, great in knowledge, great in wisdom. Uh-uh. Israel wasn't like that, and God still chose them and loved them. Why? Because the very next verse he says, but because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you, purchased you, you're not your own, out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Number two, it's not because we were great in number, but because he loved us. He loved us first. Number three, next page. And showered us with loving mercy. But God, Ephesians 2, 4 says, but God who is rich in mercy for the great love wherewith he loved us, 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And when we receive the love of that mercy, number four, He calls us His sons. 1 John 3.1, we used to sing this song a lot. It says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. And what is the Son of God in John 1.12? Everyone who has received Him, they shall be the sons of God. Understand, you might have a horrible home life. You might have come from a home life where you didn't have the best examples of a mother or a father. You have been adopted by the Heavenly Father who loves you and gave Himself for you. And you are His son. You are His daughter. Don't forget that. Number five, not only did he love us, not only does he call us his own, but he gave us a commission of charity. Just listen as I read Ephesians 5 while we close. Ephesians 5, 1 to 2. It says, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. 
He called us His sons. Verse 2, And walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given Himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice. Are you ready for either? Are you ready to offer him or yourself to Him in either service or sacrifice? That's love. That's charity. Did the gospel change your life? If it didn't change your life, it probably didn't change your eternity. Contemplate that. Think about that. Because we ought not to live for ourselves. Let her see. Not only do we have compassion and fear because the love of Christ constraineth us to show forth the world the definition of charity, but in letter C, we do it for fear of what's to come for those who reject the charitable offer of salvation. Right after the most famous verse in all the Bible, John 3.16, Christ Himself said, you know what men love? You know what men have charity to? Men loved darkness. And that's why man is condemned already. But here's what awaits them. With all the deceivableness of unrighteousness and them that perish because they receive not the love of the truth that they might be saved. We've been talking about this verse on Wednesday nights. And before this, after the rapture of the church happens, God's going to send strong delusion to those who right now reject the truth and the love of God. Who reject the love of the truth and refuse to be saved. The charity of Jesus Christ, it ought to constrain us, it ought to arrest us to whereas we are prisoners for Christ who do His bidding for the lost world, knowing what awaits them. We will conclude this entire series next week. Make sure you're in your spot. Let's pray.